This morning's scripture reading is from Isaiah, the 55th chapter. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you saw on the screen, our passage for this morning is on page 615 in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take one. We have a number of these. uh, They look like this. They're out on the table in the narthex over by the bulletin board. Feel free to take one of those home with you. Well, we're between sermon series at the moment. Uh, We finished up Jonah before Christmas. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to start the Gospel of Mark. Um, That means uh, this morning, I get to preach from any text I want. (laughs) Like a kid in a candy store. I mean, where do you go, right? Uh, Isaiah 55. This chapter, I've just, the Lord's been kind of drawing me back to this over the last few weeks. And I, I can't even remember what it was necessarily that was going on um, a week or so before Christmas that landed me back here. And uh, I just, I read it and I was like, man, I can't wait to preach this again. (laughs) So, so here we go. Isaiah 55. Isaiah envisions uh, people 
who are missing out on a feast. It's a metaphorical meal uh, of, uh, that's been set before them, wine and milk and uh, rich food. And uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual feast. It's a feast that they desperately need. It's a feast that they don't deserve. It's a feast that they cannot afford. But it's a feast that can be theirs for free if they'll just enter in. But they aren't doing so. They're spending whatever the spiritual equivalent of, uh, you know, McDonald's. They're spending their money on whatever the spiritual equivalent of McDonald's is. You know, food, I guess we can categorize it as food. It tastes good initially, but it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it doesn't really satisfy. And so God, through Isaiah, is extending an invitation. Come to the feast. Enter freely. The price for your admission has already been paid. Stop spending your life eating food that will never satisfy. Take and eat. And the sad reality is that people continue to miss out on this feast that God is setting before us through Isaiah chapter 55. People are thirsty, people are hungry, people are weary, people are spiritually impoverished, and they never enter in. Even Christians who have accepted the invitation, you know, we, we pick at our plates rather than savoring this feast, just savoring this food and then, and then taking it in to receive the nourishment, the soul-satisfying nourishment that God's feast provides. And so this morning, before we feast on breakfast for lunch, right, over in the Fellowship Lodge, after we get done with the service, before we do that, I want to spend some time reflecting on this feast, this feast that God sets before us in Isaiah 55. And I want to do that by answering three questions. First, what is the feast? What is the feast? Second, who's it for? And then third, how do, we, how do we enter in? What's the feast? Who's it for? How do we enter in? Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this, this passage, this wonderful chapter. And uh, we do pray that by your spirit, you would seal these truths to our hearts. Help us, O oh God, to enter in if we've never entered in. And if we are among those who have received the gracious invitation, O oh God, would you help us to feast and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, what is the feast? And, and just quite simply, the feast is the fullness of God's grace. The feast is the fullness of God's grace. You see it, it. We get little glimpses of it in Isaiah 55. There's so many more you know, aspects. There's so many more courses to this feast that is God's grace. But we see a few of them here in our, our passage this morning. First of all, look at verse 7. About halfway down, Isaiah writes, Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. That word compassion is the word that is actually the word for mercy. I love the fact that the translators here translated compassion because it gets at God's heart behind his mercy. You get a glimpse of it also back in chapter 54 uh, in verses 7 and 8. If you've got your Bible, you can flip back there. If not, I'll just read it. 
For a brief moment, God says, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So what aspect, one course of God's grace is just his compassion, this mercy that springs from a heart that's overflowing with love for his people. You also see abundant pardon. Take a look at at verse 7 toward the end. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly. I love it. Not just, okay, I'll begrudgingly forgive you, you know, I'll kind of give you enough pardon to barely cover your sin. That's abundantly pardon. This idea of his covenant love you see in in verse 3 Again, about halfway down, verse 3, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's this covenant that God makes with David, a covenant in which he pledges his love to David unfailingly. He pledges um, that, that, that David's, um, there will be a king on, on David's throne, an offspring of David. We see later that's Christ, but that that will be an enduring and eternal kingdom. And what Isaiah is telling us is God is saying, listen, I'm inviting you into that bond of love that I have with David. I want you to share in my covenant love. I want to, I'm pledging myself to you the same way I pledged myself to David. So compassion, abundant pardon, covenant, love, everlasting joy. Take a look at the end of chapter 55, verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This is a picture of the future. Is looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ returns. Every tear is wiped from every eye. Everything that's broken is healed. Everything that's crooked is made straight. God's people, his redeemed people, are living on a renewed earth. Jesus is the one who has come and is leading us forth. This is this picture of eternal life. All of this is this picture of eternal life. Eternal life that begins now. We get a foretaste of it. We get a little experience of it now. It's like we get the appetizer, I don't know, the first course. We get something now that's going to come in full on that great and glorious day. My point is this. God's grace is greater than we can imagine. We so often limit this idea of God's grace to begrudging forgiveness. Right? You think of that, that children's song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above. And we finish it. We'll squash you like a bug. Oh, be careful, little eyes. It's, it's, the Father above is looking down in love. Unfailing love for his people. God's grace is greater than we can imagine. Now, that, that comes out in this passage that so many of us are, are familiar with in verses 6 and 7. Uh, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we rightly think about that when when it comes to 
just, you know, mysteries of how, how can the ways in which God works, his decree, the acts of providence. I mean, God's ways are higher than our ways. We, we can't even begin to get our heads around these, these things that God is doing. And, and we also rightly apply this passage when it comes to, you know, our, our ways are unrighteous. Our ways are wicked. Our thoughts as well, as, as Isaiah points out back in verses 6 and 7. And, and God's ways are perfectly pure. But don't miss the, the, the immediate context as well. It has to do with his compassion and his abundant pardon. So when Isaiah says, God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, he's reminding us that his grace, his compassion, his abundant pardon exceeds anything that we could envision. And it goes beyond as far as we would be willing to go with others and even with ourselves. His grace is unfailing. His grace is greater than we can comprehend. It is abundant. The feast is the fullness of God's grace. Who's it for? Who's it for? It's for all who see their need. It's for all who see their need. Take a look at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. It is for everyone who sees their need, who thirsts. All who are thirsty, all who are weary. I love that song that was just sung for us. Come to me. All who are weary. Take a look at verse 3. Or maybe, how about verse 2? Verse 2, I love this question. It's a great diagnostic question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? There's this picture, picture here of... Of, of pursuing, of chasing, and just ending up tired and not satisfied. And what a great diagnostic question. What a, what a way to kind of explore our own lives and our hearts at any given moment. What am I chasing? What am I pursuing? What am I spending my life on that isn't bread, that doesn't satisfy, and is leaving me weary? In 1886, Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story. And in the short story, it, it kind of centered on this guy named um, Pashom, or Pahom. Pahom loved land. And Pahom met this family by the last name of the Bashkers. And the Bashkers had a lot of land. And so they struck up this deal that leaving at sunrise from kind of home base, you know, maybe the backyard, whatever, um, Pahom could have as much land as he could circle and get back, you know, by the time he got back to home base, if you will, by sunset for a thousand rubles. Thousand rubles, he can have as much as he could circle from sunrise to sunset. If he didn't make it back to home base by sunset, no land, and he lost the thousand rubles. All right? And so the next morning, Pahom shows up, he's got a spade. And so I picture him needing to, um, you know, kind of make his way around and maybe every few feet, you know, kind of stick the spade in and kind of make a mark so that, you know, maybe every five or six feet you see what looks like, you know, just jagged lines, you know, kind of mark off the perimeter of that which is his land. And he's, he's making his way out and, you know, the sun's up high and he's starting to think, I ought to start to, you know, kind of arch my way back and start heading back toward home base, 
But then he sees another vista. He sees another a stream that he wants to incorporate. He sees another piece of land that looks like it would be great for crop, and he just can't bring himself to turn back. So he keeps going, and he keeps going. And finally, he looks, and the sun is starting to get low, and he realizes he's still a long way from back at the start. And so he begins to run even faster, and he's digging the spade and, and making these marks. And finally, as the sun sinks below the horizon, he gets back at home base, and he dies. He has a heart attack, and he dies. Tolstoy titled the story, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And Pahom answered it by saying, essentially, enough to bury my body in. How, in in what ways are you wearying yourself Pursuing things that ultimately will not satisfy your soul. What are you chasing? What, what perimeter around your job or your perimeter around relationships, perimeter around whatever it may be that you think, if I just have that, I'll have all I need. You find yourself, it's, it's like trying to grasp and hold on to oil. It's slipping beneath your hands. And in the end, it doesn't. Satisfied. Jesus would say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Are you weary? There's this feast. Soul-satisfying grace. That nothing else could possibly satisfy. That's open to you. If you'll acknowledge your need. Are you weary from trying? The feast is for you. Are you thirsty? The feast is for you. Are you guilty? The feast is for you. Look back at verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. It starts there, doesn't it? Yes, we're thirsty. Yes, we're, we're weary. But it, it begins. A relationship with God begins with acknowledging that there's more than just a thirst and there's more than just weariness. There is real guilt because we have violated God's law. And yet the offer here is for abundant pardon and compassion for all who will acknowledge their need, for all who will see it. Are you Weary, are you thirsty? Are you guilty? And then finally, this is the key do you realize your poverty? Do you see your poverty? Look back at verse 1. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We want to try to buy our way in. That is the self-righteous, legalistic impulse that so many of us struggle with. I have to earn God's grace. I want to be able to say that I paid for it. I deserve this. The evangelist George Whitfield famously said, God does not negotiate with sinners. That's good news. Because what what, what, Whitfield is saying is that what God says is, no, no, I'm not going to let you pay for this. I'm not going to put myself in your debt. I'm going to give you what you could never give me. Unmerited, unfailing, abundant pardon. 
compassion, covenant love, a future marked by joy and peace forever. I'm so thankful that God doesn't negotiate. He just gives. He gives to all who see their need. The feast is God's abundant grace. Who's it for? All who see their need. What will bring a person to see their need? There are people in your life, children, siblings, parents, co-workers, lifelong friends, and you see that they're thirsty, but they don't see it. You see that they're hungry, and they don't see it. You see that they're weary, and they don't see it. You see them trying to to buy something that God would give them for free. They don't see it. What will bring them to see their need? What will bring them to their senses? And the answer that Isaiah gives us is in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah is calling us, God is calling us to trust God's word to have the effect that God intends for it to have. Trust God's word. Put your hope in God's word to accomplish God's purpose in God's time. This is not a promise that everyone who has ever heard the word of God will be saved. Again, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Somehow, we will be able to, by God's grace, affirm that the judge of all the earth has done right. This is, however, an assurance and a comfort because when we feel like and know that we're flagging in our zeal to share the gospel, when we realize we've missed opportunities to tell people, to remind them of the word that we've taught them or the gospel that we've shared with them, when, when we realize that we've we stumbled in our words, we're, we're faltering in our prayers, we've missed opportunities, we remember that it's God's word that accomplishes the task and it gives us great peace. We put our hope there. We look for God to work through his word. Uh, the late Old Testament scholar uh, and theologian Alec Matir put it this way, no one loves the word of God more than the God whose word it is. And he has pledged that his word will never be fruitless, never come back empty-handed. The feast is God's boundless grace. It's for all who see their need. How do we enter in? Let's finish up here. How do we enter in? Isaiah says through repentance and faith. Not merit, not good works, not greater effort. Repentance and faith. 
You see this idea of faith or a call to believe in this threefold call to listen right at the beginning of the chapter. In chapter, uh, in verse two, third line down in your text, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. In Hebrew, it's actually listen, listen. It's just the way that they kind of reinforce or emphasize. Listen, 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 listen diligently. Verse three, first line, incline your ear and come to me. There's this call there to choose, to deliberately act, to pay attention, to listen to this word. Next line in verse, in verse three, hear that your soul may live. There's this idea bound up here with not just, you know, hear it, but take it in. That your soul may live. It's a call to believe the word. It's a call to be saved by faith. It's a call to repentance, to turn away from our sin and turn to God. You see that back in verse 7. Read it again with me. Let the wicked forsake his way. Turn from your sin. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Turn to God. Repentance and faith. And even here in Isaiah 55, it centers on Jesus. It centers on Jesus. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 with me. And I want you to to notice, when when you're reading your Bible, be paying attention to things like pronouns. Okay? Now, what you can't see in the first part of the chapter and the latter part of the chapter is that the yous there are y'alls. Right? If this were the southern translation, the southern ESV, it would be y'all. It's you plural. Except in verse 4 and verse 5. So verse 4 is referring to David. David's being referenced back at the end of verse 3. Verse 4, behold, I made him, that is David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And then verse 5, behold you, and that you is singular. Behold you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Who is this person whom God has glorified? Well, in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension, all of which this book that is the book of the servant, Isaiah 38 to 55, especially in those chapters 52 and 53 that we center on so much leading up to Easter, it's Jesus, the servant, Jesus, great David's greater son, who is the king. Jesus is the one who's highly exalted Jesus is the one that a nation runs to, us, and all who put their hope in him. We enter the feast through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. Come to the water, everyone who thirsts. Jesus says, I am the living water. I'm the source of living water. Everyone who drinks from me will never thirst again. It's John chapter 7. Eat bread that will satisfy. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry again. We enter the feast through faith in Jesus Christ. How did Jesus make the way? He paid the price. I love the fact that the first part of Isaiah 55, you have things like free, like this is free, but it also says come and buy. 
buy without money. So that idea is still there. Even in Isaiah chapter 55, a price had to be paid. It's just not yours to pay. You pay with the merit of another by pleading the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. And now Jesus is the well. There is no other source of life. It reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I know there's debate about which volume the silver chair is in the series. I'm not going to get into that. Right? But the silver chair, there's that scene when Jill, one of the Pavenzi children, uh, comes to, you know, she's thirsty. She comes to a stream, and there's Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure. And this is the interchange that happens. The lion says, are you not thirsty? And Jill says, I am dying of thirst. The lion says, then drink. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away? Well, I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. But she said, I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Jesus is the well. Jesus is the source of life. Isaiah looked forward to that day when people like us would put their hope in him, would buy with his merit through faith in his finished work, would enter this feast, this feast that is the fullness of God's grace, open to all who see their need through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, let's wrap up with a couple quick points of application. First, do not delay. Do not delay to enter this feast. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Several hundred years later, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, will say, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. I love that hymn, the line, I can't think of the title now, I can't think of the author. What matters is the line, let not conscience make you linger. Nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. If you see your need, go. Go now. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Don't linger. Second, trust the word to do its work. God will accomplish the purpose for which he sent his word. May it be that that purpose is the salvation of all that you have shared that word with. But also rest in this, that word will accomplish its work in you. The very word that invited you into the feast is the word that will enable you to taste and see and know the goodness of God. And then finally, and this is for us as a church, as a community, live now as the sign of the victory that Jesus Christ has won over sin and death. Live now as the sign of the victory that Jesus Christ has won over sin and death. Where do I see that? In chapter 55, it's at the very end. Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall, be not, that shall not be cut off. A sign. God's people. 
You know, in, in ancient times, kings and emperors would set up memorials as signs of their conquests. In the Roman Empire, you know, during the time of, of Christ, just before and just after as well, victorious generals would uh, parade together with their troops through town after they had won a great victory, and then they would build a monument, often build an arch to kind of celebrate their conquest. And if you go there, you can still see the ruins of some of these arches, the Arch of Augustus, the Arch of Tiberius, the Arch of Titus. But the point is they're in ruin. And the Roman Empire is long gone. Isaiah is telling us here that the memorial is not a structure. It's a people. It's God's people. It's this vision that we have at the end of God's people redeemed on God's renewed earth with Jesus forever. But even now, we're to give a picture of what that life will look like then. If we were going to cross over in chapter 56, we'd see that, those kind of commands. Keep justice, do, do righteousness. But just here at the end of chapter 55, joy, peace as a picture of the life that is to come. The feast is nothing less than the fullness of the grace of God. Grace we can't even begin to comprehend, but get to know now in part. It is entered only through faith in Jesus Christ. It is open to everyone, everyone who sees their need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray that you would Give us eyes to see, Lord, if there are people here this morning who have not put their hope in you, I pray that today would be the day. Maybe they're here this morning because there's just some weariness, there's some thirst, there's some uh, poverty that they recognize that they can't quite put their finger on. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, through the power of your word, you will have accomplished the task of inviting them into the feast. May today be the day that they put their hope in you for their salvation. For those of us who have responded to the call and have entered into the feast, I pray that our ambition would be to drink deeply, to feast heartily, and to live zealously for your kingdom as people marked with joy and peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.